It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com along with Doug Lee and Reese, Stephen Means. It is another Market Down Monday, and we are talking Ohio State receivers, Ohio State star receivers. It's kind of the Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson stage setting podcast a long way away from the start of the season but that's how we do this on market down monday we look far into the future before a lot of things are really even determined although in this case maybe they are except for one important thing that we'll get to in a second and we mark ourselves down we say who's going to lead this team in all the statistical categories which of these receivers is going to come out on top this reminds me a little of like the the what was it the 96 olympics doug the dan versus dave i think that we're going to be doing like a a alave versus wilson scruff Steven doesn't know what that is. Um, he was, was no two. one, no one listening to this knows what that is. I, I know, I know what it is. Two years old. It was uh, you, for people who don't know. It was just like this. Every commercial break was these two guys who were supposed to be squaring off at the Olympics that year. These two American decathletes, and then one of them didn't even make it. Yeah, it was a failed commercial enterprise. Dan Jansen and Dave, somebody else, I think. Yeah. But yeah. So hopefully that doesn't unfold for House State because it would mean that one of these guys doesn't even get to the start of the season. We don't want to speak that into existence. But this is as – I want to kind of get, Doug, your historical perspective on this, and we can look at the numbers a little bit. But it's not that Ohio State has never had two good receivers at the same time, but it's the, this is like the first combination of an era where you've got two great receivers and Ohio State throwing the ball the way it does. This is – it's sort of setting up as a – golden era of Ohio State receivers. Uh, it's already started, and I think it's probably looking to unfold now into the future as well. I think that's an important distinction here, right? Because one thing is the talent of the individual receivers, and then the other is like the passing game. And, you know, Ohio State in 2005, their top three receivers were all guys who went on to be first-round picks. San Antonio Holmes, Ted Ginn Jr., and Anthony Gonzalez. So in terms of like raw talent you know like that's hard to top and I'm not saying that Olave and Wilson couldn't do that but as you said it's not like they haven't had good receivers before but in that year in 2005 Santonio Holmes had 53 catches for 977 yards and Ted Ginn Jr. had 51 catches for 803 yards and now that was only in uh 
I was actually only in 12 games, I think. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, because they only played 11 regular season games then. So that's only in 12 games. These guys should play 14, maybe 15, right? But it's the passing offense. It's how much they throw it. It's how aggressively they throw it. It's like how much they use the receivers that will, we think, jack up the statistical part of this, which is what we're really talking about. But I'm sure all along the way during the season, we can have very interesting discussions about whether when it comes to talent, raw ability as receivers, how do Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and the Jigba stack up against Santonio Holmes, Ted Ginn Jr. and Anthony Gonzalez? Stephen, we've been having, or just did have the other day on the BFF pod, kind of this chicken before the egg argument about, not argument, discussion about quarterback and receiver recruiting kind of working in tandem and how do you feel like the potential of receivers is being sold to players at Ohio State right now and how that has changed just in the last couple of years yeah I think let's just be honest the 2018 seat is probably the the dividing line here it's like what happened before 2018 what happened after 2018 as far as the production and just the way that passing game looked that's allowed them to be more a little bit more consistent with it and yes Ohio State's maybe has had a lot of talented wide receivers in the past but now it's it's allowed it to just be every year and now we're at a point with this room where you know we're having conversations of if you're the number 78 player in the country and you come to Ohio State are you going to be able to find your way onto the field because quite frankly there's the number two the number one and the number four wide receiver also in the class with you so it's 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 just changed how it's it's just instead of having you know every couple of years you've got a guy outside of when they had those three first rounders you have maybe the Michael Thomas one off or the Terry McLaurin one off now it's like you've got Terry McLaurin Michael Thomas and Ted Ginn Jr. all in the same recruiting class and you're doing that every single year. Doug to, to truly put you on the spot where do you rank Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson among the receivers you've covered here? And I think it's important. And, and I guess you're obviously only ranking them as Ohio state receivers. And that's where things get a little bit tricky when you start talking about people on this beat thought Michael Thomas was better, obviously than his draft position. And he went out and proved that. And then some, but I'm just curious, like where do you slot them in as you think back? Like where, where do they factor in among the great Ohio state receivers just after the, the two, three years that they've had? So it's hard because Ted Ginn Jr. was just like scared defenses every time he was on the field. He was not as complete a receiver as either Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson or Michael Thomas or a lot of guys who are here. He was just a pure speed threat, right? Whether you ran him down the field or hit him with a bubble screen and let him go from there. But I, I still think he's probably scarier. And again, that was an era when they didn't quite throw it like they do now. I just thought Michael Thomas in college was a complete top to bottom receiver. And, you know, I remember talking to him about the idea that he, he could have been used a heck of a lot more than he was. And like, he didn't complain. He just did his job, but I thought he was a polished, reliable, also dangerous receiver, like everything you would want route running hands. I don't think he's as fast as either Olave. As Garrett Wilson. So, like, if you're going to tell me that, like, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave this year are going to be as polished and have as good a hands as Michael Thomas, I think they have more natural ability, both of them. And, I mean, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think, you know, I mean, just like guys like, 
you know, I think they're better than Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin never got to show everything he could be here, but I, I, he also took a while to develop. Um, you know, I'm looking at Dane Sansenbacher and Devere Posey. Was a, that was a really good tandem for Ohio State. They put up some numbers in 2010. These guys are better than that. You know, that's no, no shot. So I think the only – and then Santonio Holmes – Listen, like Santonio Holmes, again, was a lot like Michael Thomas, I think, in that he just was just could do everything you want to do and knew it and went out and showed it. And so that's a high-level guy, too. So I think I, maybe those are the five, I would say, that it's Antonio Holmes, Ted Ginn Jr., Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson, I think, if I was going to say the five best receivers that I've ever covered here. But I, I think there's a chance – you know, if, uh, there's a chance that by the end of the year, those two might be the best two because I think they have to be, nobody's as fast as, as Ted Ginn Jr., but they have a chance to be almost as dangerous as him and then just be more complete receivers. And then I think maybe just go a, a half step beyond even what Thomas and Holmes did. I was looking back at last year's numbers and I think we had a podcast at some point and I don't remember if it was just around the receiving numbers or if it was part of a larger uh, number picking thing we were doing, but it had something to do with, would both of them go over a thousand yards? Do you remember? Was that the standard yeah. that we set? Yeah. It was, and, yeah. and then, then the season got all blown up or I think it already kind of had been blown up by then. So I think we were all, we were kind of factoring in like how many games they would play as to whether that could happen. And then it looked like, I mean, there was early on, it looked like they might get there regardless. Um, Garrett Wilson ended up with 43 receptions for 723 yards and six touchdowns. If you prorate that over just 14 games, which is what you would play 12 games, big 10 championship and a bowl game. So not even, or, or a playoff semifinal loss. So not even getting all the way to the national championship game. If you prorated that just over 14 games, it'd be 75 catches for 1,265 yards and 11 touchdowns. That would bar none rank among the great seasons in Ohio state history receiving wise. Like there've only been what 5,000 yard receivers. You just aren't, it's just not, doesn't happen that often. And, and those numbers would stack up against anybody. Chris Olave, his 2020 numbers, 50 receptions, 729 yards and seven touchdowns. This is only in seven games. Garrett Wilson played all eight. Olave missed the big 10 championship game as we all remember. So if you prorate that over 14 games, it's 100 receptions for 1,458 yards and 14 touchdowns. So my question is, did Chris Olave secretly have the greatest receiver season in Ohio State history? Yes. That, if you prorate his numbers, it would have been the single-season record for Ohio State, passing David Boston's 1,435 yards in 1998. But the 14 would have been second all-time tied with David Boston's in 1997 behind Terry Glenn's 17 t t uh, touchdowns in 1995. And his catches, 100 catches, would have been 10 better than what Parrish Campbell set when he set the record in 2018 with 90 when he passed David Boston's 85 catches in 1998. So, yeah. Now I feel bad for Chris Olave because it is secret. <laughs> it's secretly. It is. I mean, like, nobody talks about it like that. How could we? But it's actually true. And, and now I really, really know for a million reasons we all wish – None of this stuff had ever happened that we'd seen a full football season, but that's an extra reason to wish we'd seen that. And for what it's worth, Garrett Wilson would have been third on the single season list in catches, and he would have been third. He'd have been third in, in single season yards, and he would have been I'm tied for like seventh with like four different people for touchdowns. And that's after you slot Olave in first in those categories. Right. Yeah, that's slotting Olave into that. 
Yeah, I, I did not realize that at the time. And I sent those numbers out to our texters to kind of help um, help them answer the other questions we were asking them to answer, which we'll get to later, our market down questions. And then I did that prorating. I multiplied it. Over, and for a lobby, it's easy to just double it because he only played the seven games. And I was like, man, I, I don't know that we gave him the full credit. And we've had some people pushing back on us. For like when we had the, when we were drafting uh, our teams and and we drafted Wilson first overall I think across the board right and people kind of pushed back on that and they were like hey wait a second like are we sure he's like that much better than Olave and it's they were playing different positions last year there were some other dynamics there but this was one where I thought you know what maybe they have a point like maybe we have it's not that we've ever said that Chris Olave is not a, a good football player or even a great football player but like maybe we still haven't completely given him his due for what he is doing what he did last year specifically I don't think drafting Garrett Wilson ahead of him in an imaginary draft is proof of that because I mean this is I mean just because his stats are a little bit better doesn't mean that right and I still think we think Maybe there's more left for Garrett Wilson, and Alave has shown more of himself. But um, I don't know. I mean, as we talked about a million times, PFF, and we all – I mean, it says they're the two best receivers in college football. So I don't want to go too I, – I don't think we're underrating Chris Olave. We talk about Garrett Wilson a lot because, like, Garrett Wilson does, like, crazy explosive stuff. But, like, Chris Olave, we all agree he's going to be a first-round receiver, and he's, like, a deep threat who can also do other stuff. So – I maybe I think we we all have just said we agreed we didn't realize statistically quite how far out there he was, but that doesn't change my opinion of him as a player. It just makes me realize, man, he really put up some stats, and I'm sorry that the record books won't completely reflect that. I also think quarterbacks do find comfortability with receivers, whether they want to admit it or not. And there's there, there was always a comfortability level with Chris Olave that Justin Fields had in his career. Just I mean being the same age, but this, though, though, that was clearly his number one receiver and first option on a lot of the stuff last year, even if they would never come out and strictly say that. And that's always the case, whether you're, you're the best receiver or not. Since LSU, Justin Jefferson had 30 more catches than Jamar Chase, but we all know Jamar Chase is the better wide receiver than Justin Jefferson is. Jalen Waddle is a, and even if he didn't get hurt, he, yes, he got hurt and all that, but he still went before Devontae Smith, who, I mean, Devontae Smith had over 100 catches last year and won the Heisman, but Jalen Waddle was still considered the better receiver when we're talking about NFL draft stock and all that stuff. So the stats are what they are. That has nothing to do with who is the better NFL receiver. Yeah, and I think you're right that it's not correct to say that we underrated Chris Olave, but I also think we didn't give that kind of – and, again, it's a phantom half season, the 100 receptions, 1458 yards, 14 touchdowns. But just to, like – it just needed to be acknowledged, I think, that that was the, the path that he was on and what that how special that would have been in Ohio State history. So, like I said, last year we had the conversation about do they both get – could they both get 1,000 or more yards, uh, which has still never been done in Ohio State history um, after they weren't able to play a full season. This year, when I was formulating that question, that felt like, again, because when you prorate those numbers, that seemed like too low of a bar to set. Like, if Olave and Wilson don't both go over 1,000 yards, does that mean something went wrong in 2021? Did we say what we're marking down yet? Are you still teasing that? Well, I think we're marking down multiple things, right? Yeah. Should we tell them? Should we tell them, or are we going to keep talking and not say what the markdowns are going to be? Are you saving it? 
Um, I, well, it involves all these things. It's like, are we marking down who's going to have more receiving yards? We're marking down who's going to have more receptions. We can mark down who has will have more touchdowns and mark down whether both could go over 1,500 yards. Both over 15 each? That's the question I asked. Could they both go over 1,500 yards? That's an insane question. I didn't even realize that was the question. Because here's the thing we're not talking about here. The quarterback changed. We were about to talk about that. Okay. I think we need to get the questions out there so we can start talking about the questions. Well, let's talk about that 1500. first, though. 1,500. You said 1,500 each? That's what I asked, yes. Because you thought 1,000 each was too low. Yes, I did. Because, when you, again, when you prorate those over 1,400 yards or 14 games last year, they both easily eclipsed 1,000 yards. But that's the question we need. So that's the conversation we need to have. How much lower is the ceiling on these guys, on Olave and Wilson statistically, because there's going to be a freshman quarterback instead of Justin Fields? I don't know, like 25% lower? And also, so listen, I talked to uh, – I mean, I talked to just some, someone who's kind of uh, vaguely around the program just like said, like, you know, I just think that they, they might run it a lot more this year than people mm-hmm. are anticipating. And that part of the issue last year was also that when they were chucking it around early on, they didn't really know what to make of their run game. And as Trey Sermon came on late and Master Teague put up some, you know, 100-yard games in the first half of the year or whatever. But they were like, well, what can we rely upon in the absence of J.K. Dobbins? And what they relied upon was – the passing game of Justin Fields. Even though we all think that Travion Henderson as a true freshman is going to be very heavily involved in the run game, I, I think they just might have more to rely upon in the run game, and I don't know if they're going to come out slinging with the young quarterback. So, I, so it's just a matter of what percentage, how much you're taking off for losing Justin Fields, but I think you have to take off some for sure, right? Yeah, I, I could see that. And I, I, if, you, if, you've, if it was 25%, for instance, that would mean that, you know, he, uh, like I said, Olave was on pace for 1,450 yards over 14 games. 75% of that would be just under 1,100 yards. For Garrett Wilson, that would have put him on a pace for just under 1,000 yards, 950 yards. So then I guess that would make the whether they can both even still get to 1,000. Do you think it's in doubt that both of them could get to 1,000 this year? If they played, but if they both play a full season, I probably would pick it to happen, but I wouldn't bet my house on it. Yep. I think I was adamant adamant about it happening last year. Um, I'm not. I think one of them gets it this year, and part of the reason before that is because last year, one of them being in the slot that guy's going to get his over a lot of catches. That, that slot position, the last time a slot guy at Ohio State didn't lead the team of receptions was Michael Thomas in 2015. So the slot guy's going to be involved there. He's going to take some of that usage away from somebody, whether it's Garrett or Chris. Now, they're still going to have some plays. Obviously, they're Garrett so and Chris Olave, but that slot guy's going to take it away. So taking Garrett out of the slot takes away somebody's usage and gives it to Jackson Smith and Jigba. So I'm a little more inclined to maybe somebody has a 1,000 – 1100 yards and I think that that pro rate that you did where what Garrett was at like 950 and Chris was at 1100 that might just be what it is where one guy just barely misses it and it's because Jackson Smith the Jigba has 350 reception receiving yards or something 
I think there was a an instance um, last year where, or a couple of years ago, I think LSU got two guys over 1,500, but it took till the national championship game for the second guy mm-hmm. to cross 1,500. So it's part of this is you have to play a ton of games, but also part of it is you have to have a really prolific arm. And I think you might be right, Doug, that they don't have the um, that that is a factor here, obviously. So we're going to come back after the break, and we are going to mark down the questions that I sent out. You were listening to Buckeye Talk. All right, it's time to mark it down on Market Down Monday. First question up, who will lead Ohio State in receptions in 2021? The options I gave were Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and then I also put other. I let people write in another answer if they so chose. I don't believe anybody did. I think all of our answers were one of those three players. So let's mark it down. Who do you guys think leads Ohio State in receptions in 2021? Garrett Wilson, but I think yep. it's really close. And if anybody answered Jackson Smith the Jigba, I would like to hear the explanation for it beyond it's the slot receiver and they throw to the slot receiver. Because what Steven said about they've had the slot receiver lead the team in reception since 2015, it's like, well, that guy's like also often been like the best player. Mm-hmm. So like, it's not, it's not, <clears throat> that it's not like, oh, the slot receiver lines up like a yard closer to the quarterback. Oh, I just, I, I don't want to have to throw all the way to the sideline. I mean, like, that's not, so um, I think, I think it'll be really, I think they could tie, but I mean, like, I think it could be that, you know, that, that if in a 14 game season, I mean, what, if you average five catches a game in a 14 game season, that's 90 catches. Is that right? No, that's 70 catches. So if you average six catches a game in a 14 game season, that's 84 catches. Is that right? I mean, like if you told me that one of them has 84 and one of them has 81 and one of them has 81 and one of them has 77 or one of them has 77 and one of them has 73, right? That's what I'm thinking. So I, I don't know that I would have a strong opinion of like why I think it's Garrett Wilson. I just think it's Garrett Wilson, but I think a lot of they might be within five catches of him. First and foremost, I want to say I'm proud of you because you didn't use your fingers once when you were doing your, that math and you were spot on. I was – in my head, I was picturing fingers and counting okay. the fingers in my head, Okay, if that counts. Okay. Well, yeah, it's fine. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, I agree. I think it will be Garrett. I think – yeah, you're right. Part of the reason why the slot receiver leads is because it's been K.J. Hill. And, yeah, that's usually your best receiver. I think part of why you move Garrett outside, one, is because Jackson with the Jigba is your third best receiver. But also, maybe in year one, you don't want your quarterback throwing over the middle a bunch because that's danger zone for interceptions. So you put your best two weapons on the outside outside the numbers. And so maybe a little bit more efficient that way. But that's me just thinking way too deep into this. I think it's just Garrett because the ways they're going to use Garrett, even if he is an outside receiver, I won't be surprised if he has some snaps in the slot as well. Uh, I just think he'll end up with more re- more receptions because of all the ways they can use him in comparison to how they use Chris. What year did you say it was back to that they the, the stat guy the slot guy had led? 20, uh, 2016, 2017, 18, oh. and 19, and all of those were KJ Hill, and then Chris Olave obviously ended that streak last year. Gotcha. Okay. Because it was also you, the offense did change in there a little bit too. Obviously, where you're folding from yeah. the way Meyer did things into what Dade is an offensive quarter now what Dade's doing as the head coach. So right. that it was also Cur- a little bit of a wrinkle. Yeah, Curtis Samuel, obviously, who was the running back, H-back, wide receiver, basically give him the ball every way you can. And then K.J. Hill and then Paris Campbell setting the record last in 2018 and then K.J. again in 2019. 
So I'm taking Chris Olave here. And I think like Doug, I think it's going to be close. I think they're both going to go get all their targets and, and their receptions. I think what I asked myself was if I'm an opposing defense, who needs to be my priority to try to take away? And then on top of that, I think you then have the more technician receiver is the guy. So I think the answer there is probably Wilson. I think Wilson's one I'm trying to take away. And then that leaves the more technically precise receiver as the one who then gets to work on the second DB. And I just think that that might lead to the extra few targets per game that make the difference at the end of the year. But I don't think it's going to be a significant difference. I think they're both going to probably go and feast pretty successfully throughout this season. Does that make sense? I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody in the Big Ten is going to follow one receiver or the other. I don't know that they're going to say, hey, always have the safety help on the same guy. I think they're just going to line up and be like, do your best, you know, and treat them equally. So um, I don't have a strong handle on, like, who will benefit the most from the other one. I mean, it's one of those things, if you want to talk about – I mean, maybe we're under – Garrett Wilson had 10 catches total – for like a hundred yards in the two playoff games last year. And Chris Olave had 14 catches for 200 yards in the playoff game against the best competition. So Mm -hmm. why are we picking Garrett Wilson? I I don't know. Like, like that, if you just like, if you, if you want to pick Chris Olave, like Chris Olave had more catches last year and he played one fewer game. So that's probably, and against the better competition, he had more catches. So that probably makes a lot of sense. I don't know that it has much to do with like how, how opposing defenses will play them. I think that argument, I I, I get why you're making it. I I would, it would make more sense if like Chris didn't come back and then teams could look at that Northwestern film and go, okay, that's how we can at least try to contain Garrett Wilson. Cause then you can scheme up for one of them. It's kind of hard to do that when there's one of them on each side, but when you took one off the field, then you saw just how valuable they were in tandem because Garrett couldn't get open to save his life. Yeah. And I think that's, that's part of when I'm talking about like the, the technician side of things, there's just a consistency in Chris Olave that we didn't see in Garrett Wilson last year. I don't think that's an unfair thing to say. I mean, when, when, Chris Olave was gone for the Big Ten Championship game. Maybe this is because of um, some of that bias of, well, we know how good Garrett Wilson is. So when he doesn't have another game, it had to have been because with no Chris Olave there, uh, the defense was able to focus on him or whatever, or it threw the offense off. It couldn't just be that he didn't rise to the occasion as much. Or as you're talking about with the playoff games, where he hasn't been as prominent as as maybe we thought he would be I think that is something that Garrett Wilson maybe has to answer a little bit this year is just that consistency do you guys think that's a fair thing to say no (laughs) I mean that whole Big Ten championship game was pretty jacked up um does do we think Garrett Wilson what's the question does Garrett Wilson have to be more consistent sure no I I don't think so I mean, I don't I, – I would have to go back and watch the film and then, like, break down whether or how open he was and or was he not getting away from guys. But that's, that's not my read on the situation of, of how that unfolded. Our texters actually agreed with me on who would lead in receptions, uh, by the way. The, Chris Olave got 54% of the vote. Garrett Wilson, 36% of the vote. Jackson Smith and Jigba, just under 10% of the vote. 
Um, I agree that that's one. I put it on there just as kind of a foil to see who, how many people would get it. I understand, I guess, that people may think that they would just like, if you're expecting them to like pepper that position the way that they used to when it was an H back, I, I don't get that read. And then also just as much other receiving talent is, is, is emerging in this, on this team right now. I think, you know, Smith and Jigba has definitely poised, positioned himself to be a starter, but I see that there's going to be plenty of opportunities where what Steven's talking about, right? Where they still maybe put Garrett Wilson in the slot and put somebody else outside. Uh, it's going to be uh, – those two guys are going to play a lot in Jackson Smith and Jigba third, but I think there's going to be a little bit more mix and match too. Regardless of what happens, Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to rotate with somebody in the slot, whether it's Garrett's rotating to the slot and, some, and Marvin Harrison Jr. is going outside during those slot snaps or Emeka Ibuka wrote, just rotates with Jackson Smith and Jigba in the slot. Somebody else is going to take snaps away from Jackson Smith and Jigba. Nobody is taking away snaps from Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave. A couple of reader responses from the 804. While I think Wilson is more explosive and athletic, I think the type of offense geared for rookie QB will favor Olave. I can see his precise conservative routes will be more in the rookie QB's wheelhouse, especially in the first half of the season. These shorter throws should then open up the more explosive Wilson and result in more dramatic catches. Later in the season, the QB should gain confidence and allow for more 50-50 balls that Wilson is so good at, as is Olave. So I, I guess that it's very hard, I think, right now, having watched them play so little, to assume that one of these guys suits any of these young guys better, right? I think that's an interesting thing to watch develop, though, as Stephen was saying before. Does, does it seem as this season unfolds that whoever wins this job has a connection with one of these guys that is different than the other? I don't think it, it's going to be dramatic, but there could be something there because I think, Stephen, I think you're right a little bit about what was there between Fields and Olave. Because let's be honest here, I mean, they had one bad connection. It just, it just cost them a playoff game, but who's, who's counting that, you know? Those two, it was clear and obvious, and it's to the point where, I mean, we're joking about how all these quarterbacks and wide receivers are reuniting in the NFL now. Like, if, hell, if, if the Bears end up with one of these Ohio State receivers, I would put my money on it being a lobby just because of that connection him and Justin Fields have. So, obviously, who, whether it's C.J. Stroud or Kyle McCord and then Jack Miller, whichever one of them, they, it, might be, it maybe won't be as strong because it doesn't have to be, because if Chris Olave is not open, I'll just throw it to Garrett and vice versa. But that does help. If, if you have, have built this connection with a, a quarterback already that somebody else doesn't have, even if you guys are equal in talent, you know, when these 50-50 bars start getting thrown around, you might get more of them. So moving on, who will lead Ohio State in receiving yards in 2021? And I, those questions, I think, seem to be – it, it, that was a much more interesting question almost a year ago, right? When you had to gauge between Olave, the perimeter guy, and Wilson, the slot guy. Now they're both predominantly going to be outside. Um, so, Stephen, how does that change how you look at this and who you think will take this trophy? Honestly, it didn't change my answer. Um, Chris Olave's led this team in receiving yards the last two seasons, and a lot of that is because at some point every game he's going to have a crazy 40-yard catch. That's just how this goes. That's something you can just kind of bet on is Chris Olave having a 40-yard catch and a key moment, Some, especially last season. It seemed like every game he was having one of those catches to the point that when Doug asked Justin about it, his first response was, which one are you talking about? Which I thought was, was kind of cool. But, yeah, I just think it'll be the same thing this year. I think Garrett might have more receptions, but Chris might average more yards per catch, which is why he ends up with more yards, even if he has five, six, or seven less catches. 
Yeah, that's what I say too. I think Wilson more catches Olave more yards on just on greater yards per catch. I also say Olave. Um, and I, especially I think if you're picking him to lead in receptions, it would be hard. I think to pick one of these guys, I think if you're going to pick Olave to lead in receptions, you'd have to pick him to lead in yards. I don't think you'd have to necessarily say that about Wilson, even though he's switching to the outside. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Um, our texters agree with us. Chris Olave, 54%. Garrett Wilson, 44%. And this time, less than 2% for Jackson Smith and Jigba, although he did get a couple of votes. What, before we move on to touchdowns, I guess, what sort of impact are you guys expecting from Jackson Smith and Jigba? Because we still obviously see this as a two-headed monster. I, I don't know if it, – it's hard to really, I guess, guess at the statistical impact, especially because now we're trying to compare – this 14 game season back to last year where they only played eight games, you know, half as big, but what do you, I guess, what do you, what are you expecting him from just in terms of a presence this year? Because last year he flashed a couple things, but even the starter last year, um, James Williams did not put up a lot of stats. Is this still just kind of a, somebody who gets sprinkled in whoever the third receiver is or whatever that third receiver impact is, or do you start to see him having more of a substantial role in the offense? No, I wouldn't say sprinkle. I would say far more, by the way, Garrett Wilson had a big, bigger yards per catch last year than Chris Olave did. So everything <laughs> we just said is maybe not true. I don't know. Um, I, I think not a sprinkle. I, I just am anticipating that he'll have a much bigger role than Jamison Williams did last year. And it's hard when you sort of like start getting down to the third receiver and how much is that player, you know, really going to be involved in the offense because there's only one ball and they are going to run it and they are going to get it to Ruckert some. But I, I do think it will be consistent and normal and, you know, he'll have – I think he'll have – more than half as many catches as Olave and Wilson do individually, right? So, like, let's if let's say if if Wilson and Olave each have eighty catches, I think Jackson Smith Najigba will have more than forty. Do you guys agree with that? Like, I don't. I don't think it's going to be like 80, 80, 26. So, in a fourteen-game season. Boy, I think I would still – can I take the under on 40 and the over on 26? <laughs> oh, hold on. I just did something here. I added Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and Jamison Williams stats from last season and just combined it. Um, and then I prorated it over 14, over 14 game seasons, and I came out with 33 catches for 355 yards and five touchdowns. I think that's a good over-under right there. Like, do you think he'll be over or under that as a third receiver for Ohio State? Jamison Williams did nothing last year. He was the guy on the field with them yeah. all the time, and Justin Fields never threw it to him. Right. So I am not using Jamison Williams' production, no offense, as a guide for anything. So those I, are just, I okay, those are just the, the third and fourth. I would okay. take the over. Okay, I'm, I only use those two because that's third and fourth among receivers and catches. So that's – I mean, it was either that or use Julian Fleming, who also did nothing outside of a Big Ten championship game where he had to do something. In 2018, and again, this is the offense was different. And Paris Campbell was a guy that is unlike any Ohio State receiver right now. They just threw Paris short stuff. 
But Paris and K.J. Hill had 90 and 70 catches. They were both slot receivers, and that's how much Dwayne playing point guard threw to the slot. But that was 90-70, Johnny Dixon 42, Terry McLaurin 35. And that was with Dwayne throwing a lot more short passes. So um, I just think, like, now, I mean, it's like, it's actually, it's like, that's like 160 for the slot and then 42 and 35 for your main outside guys. So, again, I don't think – I don't think 2020 is a great guide for what this is going to be like. I don't think 2018 is a great guide for what it's going to be like, but I just think Jackson Smith, the Jigba is going to be involved because like they made room for him. And it goes back to what Steven said at the top of this, which is like, I don't think anybody should think that Jackson Smith, the Jigba is going to lead the team in receptions because he's playing in the slot. But I think you should imagine that he has some kind of legitimate role in the offense because he's playing in the slot. I don't think they're going to like – it's easier to ignore the second outside guy who's running deep routes all the time than it is to run the guy – ignore the guy who's in the slot who is, I, I think, a very talented receiver. Well, the thing to remember, too, about the numbers that Steven just gave were that they were over in an eight-game season when you combined those third and fourth receivers from last year. So some you have to factor in some sort of um, – multiplier there too right that kind of gets you so i think doug might be right maybe i'm talking about he's he's talking me into taking the over yeah like yeah but i i i'll give him 35 catches and close to maybe even 35 to 40 catches maybe 400 yards and you know five or six touchdowns a couple of other uh, texts of responses here. Evan and Oregon, uh, our buddy. My immediate thought was that Olave would lead in all statistics, but then I remembered who would be throwing the ball. Justin Fields' downfield accuracy had a huge role in Olave's massive stats. So I think Day will change the tactics a bit and get shorter, quicker passes out to Wilson. Wilson's versatility will help him finally lead Olave in all stats. And uh, from the 617, with Justin Fields not around to throw the deep ball, and he was a master, I could see the less experienced QB in 2021 looking for Wilson underneath a bit more. Like we were saying before, like it's, I, know it's, it's, I know we can project that based on what we saw this spring, but I can hear that argument that, that Wilson is a – the versatility of Wilson might put him over the top as far as emerging as the more trusted of the two guys, if that's the right word. That sounds like – I'm, that sounds like implies the other one is untrusted. That's not what I'm trying to say, but just that they, they there's a, a, a security blanket that he can become for these guys. They both can do both stuff, right? They both can be downfield intermediate and short and tuck and go. They both can do that. So this is not saying that Chris can't do one and Garrett can't do the other. What we are saying is it, in a world where they can do all three things, Chris is the best downfield threat and Garrett Wilson is the best tuck and go guy. If you had to rank which one is better at each. But I don't like a deep bar is a deep ball is not hard for a young quarterback to throw, right? Because a lot of time it's like, well, you know, if the safety's not getting over there and they probably gotta have a bunch of guys in the box because they're worried about the run, you just like chuck it deep and either your guy wins, goes and gets it or doesn't. It's not a difficult throw to make. Like the stuff in the middle of the field is it can be much more difficult to make, or like an out, you know, a 12 yard out to the sideline where if you don't get enough mustard on it, the DB's gonna jump the route and return it for a pick six. But so it's, I think it can be easy to throw those. I don't know that, that, that Ryan Day will dial them back, but it's, it's not, not as easy to complete them. So like, and also if, if they show that like, well, we're only completing one out of every 10 and it's putting us behind the chains and now it's second and 10 and it's screwing up every drive, they won't try it as much. But I don't think they're afraid of that throw. And if, and if a, a young quarterback sometimes, I mean, again, these guys, they throw balls in garbage cans or whatever. It's like you see – 
They just do this stuff all the time in the pregame. They just drop it in a bucket 40 yards down the field. All these guys can make that throw. But Justin, I did think, had a kind of a rare talent of that, right? Like the Russell Wilson's great at the deep ball. Justin Fields threw a great and incredibly accurate deep ball. None of these quarterbacks is going to be as good as Justin, but I think it's possible they might be okay at it. I think we have to see. The one thing I did like about the spring game is out the gate, first drive, Ryan gave each one of those guys a deep ball. It was one of the first two or three passes that they threw. I think Jacks obviously ended up in an in interception by Warren Watts, but uh, CJ's was his second pass to Chris Olave, and, I mean, he embarrassed Demario McCall. And then Kyle's first one was to Garrett Wilson, I think his second pl- play as well, where he dialed one up to Garrett Wilson, and then Garrett Wilson got flipped on his head and had to make sure – he had to tell, make sure everybody knew he was okay. But out the gate, he made it, he made it established to fans that, listen, this is still going to be a part of the offense because these guys can do this, even if Ryan Watts made a great play on Jack's ball. Third question, who will lead Ohio State in receiving touchdowns in 2021? This is, I think, the closest vote in Market Down Monday history for the readers, for the texters, I should say. But I'm going to get your guys' answer first. Who will lead Ohio State in receiving touchdowns in 2021? Doug. Uh... I got to think about this. I'm not sure I have a great handle on this because it's again, trying to figure out, well, how many of them, how many deep ball touchdowns, you know, might you get, how many are going to be sort of harder red zone throws. I mean, this is the area where you can get tempted. You can get tempted to go off the board here, right? That's and the, so the, the, I again gave the same three, Options, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Ed Jackson Smith to Jigba. And then I left open an other. Other did not win, but other did get some support for the first time in this poll. Yeah, because other, that's his name. Jeremy Other Ruckert. That's his <laughs> new his nickname. <laughs> <laughs> and last year, what, Olave had seven, Wilson had six, and Ruckert had five. Mm-hmm. And I was so, just barely off on my one of my like insane yeah. predictions for the year was that he would share. I think did I say share the team lead in touchdown receptions? Mm. I don't Dude, remember. I just know. I just know. I just know all but one of them was in the red zone, and that's because it was a pretty uh, sick play by Ryan Day that call up where he sends Rucker right, and everybody else goes left, and he has Ryan, uh, Justin turn back around and throw it to him. Um, so and, yeah, and Farrell had one, so the tight ends had six, mm-hmm. um, and Farrell's gone. I, I don't have – my answer here is, is reflective only of I think it could be anybody. So, like, I don't have a great answer. I'll say Garrett Wilson. But I think it could be Olave, and I think there's some percent chance that it would be Jeremy Ruckert. I'm, I can't pick the tight end over two All-American-level receivers. But I don't think it's crazy. I think if you pick Jackson Smith the Jigba to lead Ohio State in receptions, that's crazy. If you pick Jeremy Ruckert to lead Ohio State in receiving touchdowns, I don't think that's crazy. But I'll go Wilson. Steven? I'm going to do it. I'm going to pick Jeremy Ruckert. I just think there's going to be a lot of red zone opportunities this year. I don't. I, I think they, they're going to throw the deep ball, obviously, but I think they're going to dial it back and how often they do it in comparison to how long they, how often they did it in 2019 and 2020, just because it is a brand new quarterback with no experience whatsoever. And so I think early in the year is where you'll see Jeremy Rucker kind of pile them up and 
Chris and, and Garrett will maybe be playing catch up once we get deeper into the Big Ten season. But I just think there's going to be a lot of red zone opportunities. And some of this may be just because the practice I went to, I got to see a full red zone period, and they were doing a lot of stuff with Jeremy Ruckert while I was there. But I just think there's going to be a lot of opportunities in situations like that where Jeremy can get eight, nine, ten of these things, maybe even more. I am not prepared to make the bold statement that I made last year because last year that was supposed to be an outrageous prediction, which is a, a little bit different than marking it down. I'm going to take the safe route, well, half of the safe route, I guess, and just say Chris Olave. So I guess I'm picking Olave to lead in all three things. But again, I think it could be, I mean, last year they were only separated by one. I'm just kind of basing it on you'll have more receptions. That gives them a better chance to have more touchdowns. I could be wrong about both of those things. Our texters, when I first brought this question, the answer's up on my report here a couple minutes ago. It was tied. 45% each, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. I refreshed. Garrett Wilson wins by one vote. 45.5% to 45. less than 1%. So the closest vote I can remember us having in, in Market Down Monday history. Jackson Smith, the Jigba got 7% of the vote. And then there were a little over 2% of the vote went to the others. And there were multiple others, four votes for Ruckert and one for Julian Fleming. But the Ruckert support was, was pretty vocal. Um, we got a few here uh, from the 513. Mark, Jeremy Ruckert, TDs, mark that down. I think Ruckert will have the most ease because of his size. And for some dumb reason, I actually think we will use the tight end more this season, parentheses, just in the red zone. And from the 614, for TDs, the case for Ruckert. He was third on the team of TDs last year, only one behind Wilson and two behind Alave. Last year, three out of 16 of the wide receiver touchdown catches came from a wide receiver other than those two. That percentage will go up this year, not a ton, maybe to 25 or 30%. So Ruckert, on the other hand, had less competition from the other tight ends, will have less competition from the other tight ends than he did last year. It'll end up close, but I think that's enough to push Ruckert just past Olave and Wilson for TDs. I, I, I agree with Steven, though. I think it comes down to red zone usage. I don't think this is going to come from Jeremy Ruckert streaking down the seam like Aaron Hernandez or Gronk or, or whatever and, and catching bombs, I think it becomes a, a red zone situation. But I could see, again, Ohio State looking for ways to use – and they, they've done that. They, they, they have used him in the, the red zone that way. It's just a matter of, of opportunity and kind of, an oppor- of, of what the quarterback sees and how they read some of those plays. Every other one of his catches just might be a touchdown just because he might only have 18 or to 20 catches. It's already a pretty high ratio for the tight ends at Ohio State. Like, you don't get a lot of catches, but they tend to be touchdowns. Yeah, you will help a fantasy team if they had fantasy football and college football, but you won't have a lot of usage. And, I mean, I could just – couldn't you just see a game, like, against Minnesota or Oregon early on where, like, Ruckert has three touchdowns or something because they they find a matchup. It keeps working. Nobody's quite figured it out yet. And Jeremy Ruckert has six catches for 71 yards and three touchdowns against Oregon. Like that just feels like possible. All of a sudden he gets a lead in this category and then the other guys don't catch up. It's almost been the case every season, not to that extreme, but the first game every single year, the last two years, at least we've seen this big tight end usage, especially in the red zone. And then we all go, Hey, tight end usage. And then by game nine, we're like, well, that was fun while it lasted. Because I mean, we saw it uh, against FAU in 2019 and then we saw it against Penn State last year and then we didn't obviously saw it again against Clemson but early in the season seems to be the place where they do that 
I think it's just it, – it really is matchup dependent. Maybe some of it is gamesmanship too. Like, hey, we're going to show you this tight end thing, and then you worry about that in subsequent weeks, and we take it away. But I really think it, it's matchup dependent. That was certainly the case, I thought, against Clemson, that they saw something they could exploit, and they exploited the heck out of it that game. I mean, both both Farrell and Ruckert had, had huge games. But like we're saying, you know, Ruckert now is down to the one guy. And if, if you give him that one touchdown that Farrell had last year, which isn't a fair way to look at it, I suppose, because – there will be other tight ends on the field this year, but that, I mean, he, he almost ties for the lead in touchdowns last year. So I, I certainly think he could be in the mix. I just don't know if I expect it. If, if, if you're playing over a full season and you start getting a situation where Olavier Wilson has like eight to 10 touchdown receptions, that could be tough for Ruckert. I think the bigger threat for Ruckert is that like Chris Olave has 17, mm-hmm. you know, that like, I think sure. Ruckert could have 11. I mean, I really do, but like, he's not going to have 17. If Ruckert leaves, I think it's leads. I think it's because like he has 11, Olave has 10 and Wilson has nine. It's also possible. One of these receivers, it turns out the quarterback can throw a deep ball. Teams don't know what to do because they have two all American receivers and they just get balls dropped in the bucket constantly. I mean, like how many did Jamar chase have in, in, in 2019? Right. I mean, I think what we say, I mean, like something. So, like, that I think is – that's the threat. That, like, there's a ceiling on what Ruckert can get. I don't know, you know, the top end of what the best receiver could get. I'm not sure there's a ceiling on that. So, yeah, for what, <laughs> for what it's worth, yes. Justin Jefferson at 18 that year. Jamar Chase had 20. And then Thaddeus Moss had four. So, like, if they're – now, that's, like, the greatest passing offense in college football history, you know, mm-hmm. statistically yeah. and maybe talent-wise with Joe but Burrow. Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. So, like, we don't want to go too far down that road. But, like, from this touchdown perspective, Stephen, that, that could be what it is. And we feel silly even suggesting it could be Rucker because Rucker has a good season. He has six. And the other two guys each have 15. Yeah, I think the one, with LSU at this point, you, you can't compare the numbers ever, but you can compare the uses on how they use certain guys because that can translate even if the numbers are not always the same. And so when, when I'm saying these touchdowns, I'm, that's how it's split up. Between those, those guys, it's, it's – what 32 touchdowns and the percent a large percentage of them just went to the wide receivers and the tight end got left out so that's what we're saying here that that's always a possibility where like if i don't if the quarterback this year throws 40 touchdowns which I, that is actually not that crazy i mean that's what ryan day's offenses have been so far as you get the 40 touchdowns in a normal year uh, there's a chance that Jeremy Ruckert has 12 of them, but there's also a chance that he has 10 or 12 of them. And then like the two receivers also just have 15 and 16. So it doesn't matter. We're going to come back from the break. We're going to talk about the last question, which apparently everybody hates and thinks is bad, but uh, I think it, it <laughs> helps us frame the discussion of what's going on um, with the offense in 2021. You're listening to Buckeye talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. My last question, and I understand now why people think it was outlandish, but I asked, would Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson both surpass 1,500 receiving yards in 2021? The uh, record, what did you say was, uh, Stephen, 1,430-something is the single-season record? I've got it right here, actually. 1,435. And last year, Chris Olave would have surpassed that over 14 games. Garrett Wilson would not have. He would have fell a couple hundred yards short. So my question was, would both of them surpass? But I gave four answers. It was, would they both do it? Would neither of them do it? Would would only one of them do it? And which one would do it? Do you guys think either of them surpasses 1,500 yards in 2021? 
So I want to use a couple comparisons here. Nate or Steven, what's the, what was the receiving yards for the LSU guys again for Chase and Jefferson in Jefferson, 19? Yeah, Jefferson, 111 catches for 1,540 yards and 18 touchdowns. And then Jamar Chase, 84 t- catches for 1,780 yards and 20 touchdowns. All right, so the, bo- the two LSU guys both did it in 19. Mm-hmm. 1780 and 1540. Jefferson got there in the national championship game. And they played 15 right. games, not 14 but, games. Right. Right. While also playing for a quarterback who threw it 527 times. Right. They chucked it all over the place, which is another stat that we need to get into. Mm-hmm. In 2019, Tyler Johnson from Minnesota had 1,318, and Rashad Bateman had 1,219. So I think in one of these – In 13 games. Mm-hmm. I think – I mean, are Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, with whatever quarterback is throwing to them, can they do what Tanner Morgan did with those two guys? Yeah, I think they, I think they can. So it's not an LSU comparison. And if they play 14 games instead of 13, that's another, you know, like neither of those guys would have gotten a 1,500, but in a 14-game schedule, they would have gotten close. Um, it's just a lot to ask. And I'm going to say – no to both because I think they might end up in a world where it's like one is it thir- 1,300 and one's at like 1,180 or something. But I'm, I would say both over 1,000. I would say both under 1,500. So, and, and then I, we, we have to talk about the run-pass balance of the offense and what we yep. think it's going to do because that's part of it and the quarterback play is part of it. But I'll say no to the 1,500. I actually think Minnesota in 2019 is a good way to look at it. I'm actually glad you brought that up because it can take us into the, the run-pass balance thing while also, you know, displaying how the, the, the reception, you know, breakdown might break up because their third receiver had 28 catches that year, and that's Chris Autumn Bell, and that might just – so that might be where Jackson Smith Najibba lives. Maybe he is the under, and that's exact that 28, around 30 catches, 400 yards, and five touchdowns. That might just be where he lives at. Um, but I'm going to say no as well. I, I think they're just, I think they're going to run it more this year. I think part of the reason they won't get it is because Jackson might steal some of those yards because those 371 yards, they could have, I mean, those could have gone to Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman instead of going to their third receiver. So I think Jackson just might steal it sometimes. And I'm also just leaving open room where one of them just has a game where they're not involved. As great as they were last year, both of those guys had a moment during the regular season where they weren't that involved. For Garrett Wilson, he only had three catches for 59 yards against Michigan State. And then for uh, uh, Chris Olave, he's had – I mean, that Michigan same Michigan State game, he only had – I'm sorry, I'm looking at this totally wrong. I lost my – move on. Yeah, that's the point. They both had some games that – last year that they were they were they weren't as involved as well as having some games where they had multiple had 10 catches so the interesting thing about the minnesota 2019 and I, I agree that i think that's an interesting comparison they played 13 games and in nine of them here were the scores of nine of them 28 to 21 38 to 35 in double overtime 35 to 32 38 to 31 this is why i wasn't ever uh ranking them very high by the way and drew the scorn of many around the Big Ten. Uh, 31 to 26, 19 to 23, 38 to 22, 17 to 38, 31 to 24. So the vast majority of their schedule, they needed both of those receivers on the field until the last second of that game. 
And in some of these other games, uh, I don't know that they were quite the same thing as like a, a typical Ohio State blowout. You had a 40-17 to win over Illinois, 34-7 to win over Nebraska. So even some of those games, those guys are probably playing deep into the fourth quarter. I think that could affect whether Olave and Wilson have a chance to put up just insane numbers this year too. I think there's a decent portion of the schedule. Again, we're going to talk, I guess, it will depend on how the whole offense thrives. But I would take, I would say no to both also. I don't know that either of them can get to that kind of prolific year. I think they could both be in that neighborhood. You're talking about, Doug, where you're in like that 1,300-yard thing. And maybe at some point it, you start splitting areas and you say, well, I think you can get to 14, but not 15 or whatever. But I, it, I think – it would be asking a lot. And then on top of that, Stephen, you make a good point about, you know, the, the third guy from Minnesota having 28 receptions, but how much farther down on Ohio State's depth chart can you go and find receivers who are better than that guy? I think there probably are some guys on this roster like Jackson Smith and Jigba um, and some of these other younger guys that Ohio State will want to get mixed in a little bit, um, especially in a season now where it's going to be more of a conventional season. You want to get maybe some, some reps that aren't as dependent on Olave and Wilson early on. So I would also say no to both. I think Ryan Day hated last season not getting guys in games. Mm-hmm. And I think they will go not out of their way, but they will play the backups a lot. And Julian Fleming has to play this year. Now, Jamison Williams left. Emeka Egbuka and Marvin Harrison Jr., we expect great things out of him, but they're both true freshmen. Like, you want to get them experience, right? But, like, they're not going anywhere. Julian Fleming has to play for development for the 2022 season when Olave and Wilson are both gone to make sure he's happy, to make sure he doesn't think anything, right? Just like – so Julian Fleming is going to get a lot of run, and I think they might have three or four games, Nathan, where – they have a huge lead at halftime, and like they kind of call it on Olave and Wilson. And as, as Stephen has pointed out, we do think that you know Jackson Smith the Jig will probably rotate more. We don't know how much they'll rotate on the outside, but especially if they're not rotating that much, if Wilson and Olave are taking like eighty percent of the snaps on the outside, then when it's garbage time, they're going to get the garbage time early, and let Julian Fleming and Marvin Harrison Jr. go out and do some stuff for a lot of different reasons. So that's going to affect, like you said, Minnesota was playing 60 minutes every week because their defense stunk and they needed Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman on the field with five minutes left in the game so they could win. That's just going to be some games this year where that's not the case with these two receivers. I think I would have been had a better, I I would have been more for both of those guys getting the 1500 if we were having this conversation last year where those guys before the season got canceled and they refigured it back when it was still the 12 game schedule, just because now seeing how things played out where Garrett and Chris just got every, every snap and every target you could think of for the first six weeks, that would have probably still been the case as those younger guys get used to playing because they didn't have a spring and had a weird fall going into the season. And so just the usage, it's going to, they're going to have crazy uses this year, but it's not going to be near it was last year where there's going to be a ridiculous gap where it's like those two have 50 catches each and the next person has seven catches because of that. But then also I think something we also need to think about is, how many passing yards is this offense going to have last next year and with a first year quarterback because Justin Fields only had over 250 yards you know three times in 2019 and those all came later in the season he had some times where he was barely getting over 200 while of course last year he was living in 300 plus passing yards so that plays a role i mean you can't get receiving yards if you're not throwing the ball for 250 to 300 yards per game if you're if you're relying more on the run than you are on the pass then that takes away from some of these yards 
So the other thing is the defense this year might not be bad enough for Ohio State to have to score and keep their offense in the game. I thought, I yeah. thought when you said you would have believed it more last year, Stephen, I thought that's what you were going to say too. Because, you know, and again, Nathan, you said this the whole year, like questions about the defense. And it's like, well, we think the secondary is going to be better, whatever. Like they're not going to have to keep guys in the game. They clearly, I mean, they had to play games last year. You know, Rutgers in the second half, Indiana in the second half. They didn't get guys in the game as much as they normally do. So I think that goes against, right, the hugest stats that – that the defense isn't going to maybe let them down as much. I just want to throw out one more comparison because we're doing comparisons. We talked so much about the LSU guys in 2019. The Alabama guys in 2019, Devontae Smith, 1256, Jerry Judy, 1163, Henry Ruggs, 746. So that's, that's the top two Alabama guys. Neither of them at 1500 both over 1150 that sounds possible to me right that and then i don't know that smith najigba would have as many as as the third bama receiver had that year um but that's an, and then waddle by the way was at 560 so that's like the the four that's the best foursome of receivers in, in college football history together so that's, i'm not saying ohio state's that but those top two guys between 1150 and 1250 i think that's possible and that was a 13 game season yeah, I think we should put a pin in that stat with the, what that foursome did and have it have it next year at this time when this quarter when either it's Quinn yours or a second year or somebody and then you still got this deep wide receiver room. Could Ohio State replicate something like that? Our texters agreed with us, by the way, uh, saying neither. Fifty two percent of them said neither. And 15 percent said Wilson only 14 percent said Olave only surpassing 1500 yards. But 19% said yes, they would both get there. So that's we always have a portion that is is very optimistic about these sorts of things. And maybe they're factoring in a a full 15 game schedule, and maybe they have especially high hopes for the the quarterbacks. We already mentioned that the quarterback situation, and we still don't know for sure who the starter will be, but that has to factor into the projections. I think Stephen's right that this would have been a more interesting projection last year for a number of reasons, and partially because if you'd had Justin Fields with a full season thrown to those two guys, I mean, you could just see it. You, you prorated the numbers, and we saw what they were. So, but not just that. I, I am kind of curious, Doug, you just, you mentioned this earlier that we need to talk about this. I think I agree that this seems like as as great as these two receivers are, that it might not play out the way last year did last year early on it seemed like there was just this constant barrage to those two guys and that those guys were out in front leading this offense I mean Fields and those two guys were the engine pulling this offense along and I don't know if I expect it to play out quite that way I know that they don't necessarily from day one have a stud running back that they've like they don't have J.K. Dobbins probably on week one this year we'll see if that what Trevion Henderson becomes that but I don't think you can say for sure that 2019 J.K. Dobbins exists on this roster on day one. But I could see that them falling back a little bit and relying at least early on on the run and letting the pass play off of that a little bit as as things kind of settle in. And we still see the like the big moments from Alave and Wilson, and they're still reliable receivers. But I don't know if I'm thinking they're going to go out and get whatever they were combining for targets early last year. You know, 25 targets a game or whatever. Um, some of those big numbers might be pushing it a little bit. What are you guys saying? So let me ask this other question as, as, as another baseline thing. You guys guess uh, pass attempts compared to rush attempts per game last year for Ohio State. 
which had more rushing attempts or passing attempts. And I'm not, you know, when, when the quarterback drops back and then runs, that counts as a rushing attempt, even though it's actually a passing attempt. But just by the, the regular stats, which had more and what was the gap? It was so still rush you, attempts, right? And it was probably a, a you per game. The, the actual number gap, per, like um, 12 a game. Steven, you want to guess? Yeah, uh, 15. 15. So it's 15 a game. You guys aren't surprised by that, the way we think about that offense? They ran it no, 15 because, times because, per game more. Because all of the passes went to two guys. No, just I'm not surprised just because, I mean, there's more people who get the who are, you can hand the ball off to and run, but also Justin's, what, probably near 90 rushing attempts himself. So, for instance, last year in the Penn State game, Justin Fields was 28 for 34. So he had 34 passing attempts. Uh, Olave and Wilson combined for 18 of the 28 catches. But Master Teague and Trey Sermon combined for 36 carries. The whole second half of that game was just Master Teague running the ball. Yeah. And it's all – yeah, it's that – yeah, they do – yeah, that's part of that, – that's been Ohio State the last two years. So they get up big and they start running the ball. But also, it's just hard because Justin was so efficient, so they didn't have to have a lot of passes for the, that, that passing game to get going. He could throw it 30 times, and especially early in that year. He could throw it 25 to 30 times, and he was going to complete 24 to 28 of them. So the last four years, last year they averaged 15 more rushes per game than passes. 2019, they averaged 18 more rushing attempts per game than passes. 2018, even. 40 rushing attempts, 40 passing attempts per game. 2017, 11 more rushing attempts per game. So when Justin Fields got here, like Justin Fields, hey, whatever, they actually ran it more. Like pass-happy quarterback guru Ryan Day, they ran it more in those two years than they did in the previous two years, when it was Dwayne Haskins in the last year of JT Barrett. So – I just don't know. You guys were good on the guess. I, I don't know if the average, the people listening, if, they, if their guess was right. Oh, yeah, 15 more rushes per game. Maybe it was, and that takes everything into account. Blowouts, putting games away with the lead in the second half, whatever. Garbage time. I mean, it all factors in because we're trying to figure out stats. But I don't know. So, like, as much as, as, much as I said, hey, someone said they might run it more than you think, I think they already run it more than the way we talk about it sometimes. So is it possible they'll actually pass it more? <laughs> that if they're less efficient, they'll throw it more, hmm. right? That I don't like I, – I, I, I think the more we talk about it, the less I have a handle, Nathan, I actually but, have on it. But that doesn't actually change the statistics for the receivers necessarily that much. If you're throwing it more and being less efficient with it. Interesting right. caveat to that, though. You basically said they ran it more than they threw it, and the one year it was even was the year their quarterback is – was probably running a 40 in five and a half seconds, right? Maybe the, how much of that plays a role? And that's why I hate college because they add in sacks to the rushing attempts so it throws off how often a quarterback actually runs. How much does that play a role? Is C.J. Stroud or Kyle McCord as much? They're clearly not going to be the running threat that J.T. Barrett or, or Justin Fields were, obviously. But are they closer to what Dwayne Haskins is as a run threat? Or are they closer to what Justin and J.T. are as a run threat? And how much does that impact how much they run it and throw it? I think they're, I, I think 2018, you almost just throw out. I just think that, yeah. like, the, the, Paris Campbell was their run game that year. That's why Paris yeah. Campbell had 90 catches. Because they were doing RPO stuff. They were, Dwayne didn't run at all. 
Um, so I just, it's not even worth comparing anything to Dwayne. We just threw it out there, but it's just not, it's just such an outlier. But I don't know, like a young quarterback, both, both CJ Stroud and Kyle McCord are athletic, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think if they get in trouble, aren't they going to run? Aren't they going to run a little bit? Like they're not going to stand there. And I don't know if they're going to get to their third read. So, and are they going to chuck it out of bounds? Or are they going to try to do something with their legs? I, I'm expecting whoever the quarterback is to run at least some, right? Yeah, and uh, and that boils down to the question that I mean, we asked Justin his first time here. Are they running to buy time or are they running to take off and go make a play? And I think CJ might run to go make a play while Kyle might run to buy some time and then chuck something downfield for 30 yards. I don't think they'll call a ton of runs for those guys early. No, but, no, no, no. But I think they might end up getting some carries each game. Yeah, and I think that's still just – it's part of college football, right? I mean, that's just that, – that play – the, the quarterback run is just a part of college football in the way that it isn't part of NFL football. So there's still, I don't, I think you're right. I think it won't be the same as with Justin, but whoever wins this job, I think there'll be some of that mixed in. If it's Jack Miller, if it's Kyle McCord, whoever, like that'll be mixed in. Can I rescind everything I've marked down? I feel like I have no <laughs> handle on this at all. It's like every time we say a stat, it's like, well, this is a comparison. It's like, Oh, what does that mean? I don't know. Well, this is a comparison. Well, could it be this? It's like, I don't know. Like they're both good. Right. That's the only thing I feel like I know. We all know that everybody listening to this, anybody around college football, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are good. How are they going to throw it? How much are they going to throw it? How accurately are they going to throw it? Who's going to throw it? That I don't know. And, it, and I think and you can talk yourself into a lot of different things. I mean, the idea of like, hey, it's a young quarterback. They're going to look for easier throws, whatever. OK, that makes sense but also the quarterback might be great pretty quickly. And if they don't have, you know, they don't have Ezekiel Elliott and established 2015 Ezekiel Elliott back there. I mean, heck man, if Oregon's coming out and shutting down Master Teague and Trayvon Henderson, guess what you're going to have to do to try to win the freaking game? Throw it. So I, I, I don't know. I, I wish I had a better definitive answer. It's a good discussion to have in May, but as it turns out, Nathan, this is harder to mark down on the specifics than I thought it would be because I think we know exactly what the two receivers are. And I don't think we really know anything else about the passing game. I think that's a good way to put it that who wins these categories is not going to be determined really by the talent of these two guys. It's going to be some other X factor. It's going to be how the offense is coordinated, how these quarterbacks read defenses. It's, I guess that's always a factor, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's going to be, it's going to be X factors that are outside of the receiver's control to some extent, maybe that end up determining who ends up having the most of these categories, but we have marked it down nonetheless here on the first, the second week of May. And now we've only got like five months to sit back and find out what happens. Complete uncertainty never stops us. Buckeyes. Well, I don't know. I, 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 think, I think we can be certain in who might lead, even if we're not certain in how they might do it, which might just be what the discussion is. It's like, I have no idea how Garrett Wilson is going to catch the ball next year, but I just think he's going to do it more than anybody else on this team. I think that's, I guess that's a fair uh, but that's, to take as well. That's not what, that's not what, that's what I said, but that's not what Nathan or the texters said. So like, we're divided. We're 2-2 right. two, two on that. <laughs> And a lot of it, one of the most curious things that I think we're waiting for is another Garrett Wilson jump. 
because there was a jump from year one to year two Garrett Wilson. What might the year two to year three Garrett Wilson jump look like? I just don't know that we think there's going to be a gigantic jump from year three to year four of Chris Olave. And that is nothing against Chris Olave, but I just, he's a year older. And I just, and I, you know, Nathan, you called him a technician. I just think he's a little bit more of a finished product. Not that Garrett's not a finished product, but he's going back outside. He played in the slot last year. The only time we've seen him outside is when he was sharing time, you know, whatever with Ben Victor and Austin Mack yeah. and those guys. Right. So we don't, I think we feel like we have a pretty good handle on what Chris Olave is. And I think we are all assuming what percent more from Garrett Wilson, but that's where the uncertainty is. Does that, does that rest of Garrett Wilson's ceiling move him ahead of Chris Olave, at least statistically? And, and I think Steven and I think yes, but we're not exactly sure about that. And we're not exactly sure how it's going to work out. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting to think about one of the reasons to maybe move Wilson outside is if you've got a, a fresh brand new quarterback and you're only giving him the one outside option, does that limit him a little bit? Now this kind of opens things up for them even more. Now they've got two really trusted options, both out there. Um, something that they can play with defenses, play against defenses with a little bit more. I don't know. I think there's, I'm really curious how it's going to look. I mean, there's no, so much about point. how this passing game is going to look that we don't know yet, considering just how talented these receivers are. But we haven't, other than the spring game, we haven't really gotten to see these guys go attack defenses with it yet. And how this offense operates top to bottom, I think is going to be, I'm, I'm intrigued. I hope we get to see it some in the actual preseason, but certainly by September 2nd, we'll, we'll know more what's going on after that game. That's a good point, especially in a world where we're not sure how much they're going to do 12 personnel because we don't know who – we think it's Cade Stover, but we don't know how, how good he is and how ready he is to play yet. So put attack in this one. We'll be back in four months to see – or, well, it'll be more like nine months by the time we actually get the season over with. But, Doug, where are you going with this? I, I wanted – I was thinking about adding. I forgot this was marketed on Monday, even though you said it ten times. I wanted to see if we wanted to add this. I was thinking we could mark this down maybe of like um, maybe like a weird thing that I do in my life and people, the texters could vote and mark down whether the thing that I do is stupid or okay, because I have a couple things going on with my family and maybe I can throw this out there. And if we want to do it, we could do a survey and give the answer on the next market down Monday. Lately, if I'm eating a salad, right? I like to put carrots on my salad. And we will cut up carrots and have carrot sticks ready to go in our house. So you grab a couple of carrot sticks and eat them. And you got to take the big carrots and cut them up because the baby carrots are slimy. No offense to baby carrots. So you got to make your own carrots. So I have a carrot stick, you know, the size of my finger. But when I'm putting it on a salad, I want it small, right? <laughs> so if I'm making my own salad, not a family salad, not a family salad, my own salad, rather than take a knife, and cut up the carrot, I put the carrot in my mouth and bite it into five little pieces and spit that carrot on the salad. Cause it's my mouth. It's my saliva. Like, why am I gonna make a knife dirty? God gave me a knife. They're in my mouth. I'm gonna use them. And my family is absolutely disgusted and outraged by this. And I think it makes perfect sense. What I'm like, am I af I'm afraid of my own spit? I'm not hawking a loogie on the salad. I just bite it. And then I let the carrots fall out of my mouth in the salad. And I do that with like four or five carrots. 
And then I have like 20 little carrot bits on my salad. That to me is completely normal and a fine use of what God gave me. Uh, I don't know if I'd say it's normal, but I think it's uh, reasonable. Acceptable. It's your salad. Yeah, it's acceptable. Now, I, I mean, I would, I would do like the peeler and get like shaves of carrot in there. I'd rather have the, the carrot like that rather than like a big chunk of carrot. So two things. One, you could have kept that information to yourself. Two, <laughs> I need, I need we're, we're an open book. We're an open book. Yeah. <laughs> two, it's not normal. And you know it's not normal. And here's how you know it's not normal. Because you, you wouldn't be asking us to validate if it was normal if you knew it was already normal. You just keep doing it. No, because here's the thing. There are things occasionally in life, the most profound thing I ever read on Twitter. I read it. I, I'll never forget it. I don't know who said it. But a couple months ago, somebody was said, tweeted something about everybody leaving, that, leaving the knife on the edge of the sink all day just yeah. in case you need to butter one more piece of toast. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, dear God, I thought I was the only person in America who did that. <laughs> Everyone does that? This is a little bit like the Chipotle, Chipotle napkin thing. So I'm wondering, do we have a bunch of vegetable choppers dropping vegetables on your own salad out of your mouth out there that everybody's going to be like, I thought I was the only one who did this. It's the thing. People are afraid to talk about it. People are afraid to talk about the butter knife on the edge of the thing. People are afraid to talk about, yes, I spit vegetables onto my salad. Uh, it's a service, Stephen. I want people to feel free to be who they are. And among those people is me. Carrot choppers. You are not alone. Yeah. Was there a second thing or was that? No, that's the main thing. But like we okay. could do a text and then we could mark it down. Is that a reasonable thing to do or not a reasonable thing to do? And then I, my life is a mess. I can come up with one every week. But it's your show, Nathan. So if you don't want to do that, I understand. No, no, I will. I give you permission to send that text. I'm just not going to write it myself. <laughs> <laughs> because Fair. I think I, I want you to be able to word it the way that you want to word it. And I think I'll only send it to the nonsense people. The people, you know, oh, like right, uh, right. that we have that separate text group, 614-350-3315. I don't think I'll send it to the people who are looking for information about Jackson Smith and Jacob. That would be that's, an amazing probably, text. It's like that's a good Nathan, idea. Nathan answers a, hey, Buckeye talk question with some serious football talk. And then like 45 minutes later, hey, it's Doug. So listen, I like to chew on my, my carrots before I eat them. And Steven, put that them is, on my side. Steven, that is a good reminder that we are looking for Hey Buckeye Talk questions. I think we forgot to send out a second reminder this week, but we're looking for those questions. We've already published uh, one roundup of them. We do them every day. I think we actually skipped yesterday uh, on, we're recording this on Friday. We skipped Thursday, the day of the massage stuff because things got weird, but we're going to keep coming with those answers every day. Steven, you're doing Hey Steven, the recruiting answers every day or five days a week. So those are going to keep coming at you. Tuesday's podcast is right now set to be an interview that Doug and I did with former Ohio State receiver and current United States House of Representative member Anthony Gonzalez. And we talked about a lot of things. We talked about name, image, and likeness legislation, including a bill that he is pushing through the House. We talked about uh, politics in general and some of the things he's going through right now, which are interesting. We talked about Marvin Harrison Jr. and Brian Hartline and Ohio State football things. So I thought it was a great half-hour talk, and uh, Doug and I had a good time talking to him. So that'll be Tuesday's podcast. So come back for that. But with that, I'm Nathan Baird. He's Doug Lee Maurice, and he's Stephen Means. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.